0: Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. This is Rick Thomas, and we are doing Life Over Coffee. I had a friend recently approach me, and he was asking how to help his church because they have a weak view of biblical counseling. He feels like he's a lone wolf who has an effective model for sanctification through discipleship, and so he wants to know how to motivate his leaders, but he knows that they prefer an integrated worldview, an integrated practice of counseling or discipleship. Now, it's not that they haven't thought about it. Uh, He believes that they have really just been affected by the psychologized zeitgeist, the spirit of our age, and so he asked me how I would address the issues if it were my church. Let me ask you, what would you tell your friend if he came to you wanting to know how to implement a biblical counseling worldview and practice at his church? Now, perhaps you love a purer form of discipleship. But you have friends who are unfamiliar with what that means, or maybe they are hostile against biblical counseling. And so I trust that these thoughts will encourage and help you also. By the way, this is episode 455, and so if you want to read my show notes, you're welcome to do that. The title of it is, Don't Make a Big Deal Out of Biblical Counseling. As I was thinking about my response to him, I remember when I first became a Christian, and I know many of you have had this experience too. You were lost. You were futile in your thinking. You were alienated from God. And then he imposed himself into your life. He regenerated you, and boom, you were born again. And it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And so you couldn't help, but I mean, you you were just compelled to go and tell your family about your great salvation, and you wanted your friends to know as well. But they weren't as eager. They weren't as excited. Some of them have said, you know, I tried Christianity. And, well, and then, of course, they go on with their cynicism and unbelief, and you found yourself at a crossroads where your enthusiasm about something was, was running head-on into uh, people who were not as excited as you were about your salvation. That's kind of what we're talking about here. A similar thing can happen to uh, those who have been introduced to biblical counseling. I remember a number of years ago, we had a student. She uh, came by uh, our home. She lived out of state. She was traveling through, and she was sitting on our couch, and she said, Rick, why doesn't the church just—why don't they embrace this? Why aren't they excited about this? Well, she was having one of those moments similar to our salvation experience, and we really have to keep that in mind. Uh, The things that we stumble upon, the things that we embrace, the light that finally comes on for us, it doesn't mean that everybody else is in the same spot, in the same place, with the same enthusiasm. And that's why I titled episode 455, Don't Make a Big Deal Out of Biblical Counseling. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Biblical counseling or counseling. There are basically three models, generally speaking, of counseling in our culture today. There is secular counseling, I'll use that term, and they operate from the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. As of this day, it's number five. It's been revised, but it's number five, the DSM. And that is secular counseling, and that's where you would get all your acronyms PTSD and ADHD and OCD and, well, there's a thousand of them. That is secular counseling. It is non-biblical. And then you have integrated counseling, and that is a mixture to varying degrees of the secular worldview and perspective and the biblical perspective and so it is just a mixing of the two and depending on who's doing the mixing that will that will determine the kind of salad that you're going to have we call that integrated and then of course what my friend is asking me about is biblical counseling these are people that have a sufficiency of scripture worldview They love psychology, but the way that they define psychology, by the way, this is my view as well, God is the author, the creator of the soul, the psyche and God has given us the logos the word concerning the soul we see that in genesis 2:7 we see this in 2nd timothy 3:16 god created the psyche and he has given us the word his bible for the soul thus the purest form of psychology in the world is biblical psychology and of course what we have been calling it for the past 50 years is biblical counseling but what i am talking about here is discipleship and that is my preferred word for it i believe that discipleship in the context of the local church is the purest form of psychology or the purest form of soul care that any human can uh, that any human can have And so my friend comes, and he believes that too, and he wants to introduce biblical discipleship or biblical counseling to his church, but uh, they have embraced another zeitgeist, and uh, it's not that. And so there were several things that I told him, and and the first two, they're really tied together, and and so I'll just do, I'm going to call this 1A and 1B, uh, for lack of a better descriptor. 1A is obey your leaders. And I told him, you're you're not the pastor. You're not the elder. You're not the leader. And and so you really want to embrace Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage you. To you, And so if you don't obey your leaders, it will be of no advantage to you. One of the questions that I have pulled out of this text of Scripture, and it's not original with me, but the question is, am I a joy to pastor? Every Christian should go to their pastor or pastors, whoever knows them the best, the leader that knows them the best in their local church, and they should ask this question, am I a joy for you to pastor? Are you shepherding me with joy or groaning? I am not suggesting that you believe and practice everything that uh, the pastor teaches because they are not perfect. I'm not suggesting that you embrace their worldview Like in this case, we have a competing worldview. We have an integrated worldview of discipleship in the local church. And this gentleman who is talking to me has a pure, what I believe to be a pure form of discipleship called, he's calling it biblical counseling. And so they're not going to come to agreement, or he's not going to come to agreement with an integrated model. But he must be a joy to pastor. Now that's one aim. 1B is biblical counseling is not the main thing. Biblical counseling is not the tail that's wagging the dog. Though some biblical counseling people don't like to downgrade biblical counseling, the truth is sanctification is secondary to the main thing in the church. The church believes and preaches the gospel. And because of that, we want to walk circumspectly. And so is the gospel being preached? Paul talked about it this way in Philippians. He said in Philippians 1, 15 through 18, he said, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then, Paul asks? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You can also read Galatians chapter 1, where Paul talks about the primacy of the gospel. And so we want to be careful here that biblical counseling, we want to have a high view of discipleship, sanctification in the, the local church. But it is not higher than the gospel. And so if the church is preaching the gospel, then you want to walk circumspectly. And so those are 1A and 1B that I told my friend. You have to obey your leaders if they are preaching the gospel. Now, it doesn't mean that this will not be a conscience matter, it could be that this is such a conscience matter that that he believes that he is sinning against his conscience if this church does not embrace a purer form of discipleship that he is calling biblical counseling. And that is possible. Though the gospel is the main thing, you could have a a belief on a a lower tier issue, a second tier issue like biblical counseling or discipleship, that it could be so high on that second tier that it is a conscience issue for you if the church is not doing that. And so if his conscience keeps pinging him to where he can't overlook how they display and portray discipleship and teach it and train it in their local church, that he believes that he is sinning against his conscience. Well, how would you know if you're sinning against your conscience? Where there's one way, you start grumbling. You become divisive in your local church. You start gossiping about the pastor, grumbling about how they're doing this or that. You're sinning in some other way. In your conscience, you believe it is wrong, But rather than bringing your conscience into submission of the Holy Spirit and God's Word, you start sinning, well, now you're out of the banks, you're out of bounds. And if you can't attend that church and be sinless, if you can't overlook this problem, meaning your conscience will not let you overlook this problem, it continues to bother you to the point to where you are sinning, you might need to leave. I mean, this second-tier issue could be so intense for you internally that your inner voice will not let it let it go, and you try, but you still have a grumbling, complaining, critical spirit. Now you have sought help to sort things out, and even with biblical counseling help for yourself, it is that level of a conscience issue, and you can't stop sinning. Uh, then you may need to leave. Now, if you do stay, even though you disagree with your leadership, what you'll have to do is you'll have to discern how to make a difference without sinning. Now, that would be my first appeal, to stay, but I don't know at what level Of this, that this is of a conscious issue with my friend. And I don't know his maturity level to where he can overcome this uh, at a conscious level and be okay. And for those of you who are listening to the podcast, I'm putting okay in air quotes because ultimately he's not okay, but he's submitting himself to the leadership, recognizing that the gospel is being preached, and so he can tolerate what is happening without sinning, and if that is the case, then stay there and make a difference, and I want to talk about how to make a difference within your local church when you disagree with how they do discipleship or biblical counseling. One of the problems, one of the labels that has been given given to the biblical counseling movement, generally speaking, and some biblical counselors specifically, is that we can be irritating. We can be harsh. We can be self-righteous. There is a reason for the characterization because it's true. There are some people within the biblical counseling movement that remind me of my fundamentalist movement days. I was a part of the fundamentalist movement. I've talked about it on our ministry, in our ministry here at Life Over Coffee, and one of the things about some fundamentalists is they are so doggone right that they are aggravating people. They are not humble people, and they look down on those that don't do it their way, and biblical counseling people can be that way too. And so what I say to my friend here, don't be an aggravationist, not like that. I mean, whatever you have learned, whatever you have stumbled into, whatever light has come on for you, I always think of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, "'For who sees anything different in you? "'What do you have that you did not receive?' If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Whatever light that you have, that God has given you that light, whatever doors have been opened, he has opened those doors. Whatever insight that you have that maybe makes you different from other people who haven't yet reached that point yet. Well, that's because God has given you that. It is by grace. What have, you re- what have you received that God has not given to you? And so I asked my friend, don't be an aggravationist, okay? Be humble. Be humble. There's a little irony here. What you want to do is to practice what you believe. If you believe in biblical counseling, then you should be living according to the teaching of biblical counseling, which means you're not grumbling, you're not being divisive, you're not being a cynic, you're not gossiping, and you're not critical. How ironic is that? I mean, suppose you're counseling someone who is grumbling, critical, divisive, cynical, complaining, and you sit there, and the Holy Spirit convicts you, and it's like, that's exactly what you're doing at your local church, because they don't embrace biblical counseling the way that you think they should. And so practice what you believe without being divisive. And by all means, don't be a whack-a-mole over everything that moves. It reminds me in my uh, M.A. program, my Master's in uh, Biblical Counseling out at uh, the Master's University. Tremendous experience. love the Master's University and what they taught me there. Uh, my profs, uh, Wayne Mack, Stuart Scott, and John Street uh, particularly, uh, just amazing people. God just used them in a wonderful way in my life and also used the Master's uh, University. That being said, I remember uh, one, of, one of my profs, I don't remember who it was, it doesn't matter, uh, but they were talking about the difference between uh, biblical counseling, integrated counseling, secular, and so forth, and, and somebody in the class asked, you know, what about James Dobson? And I think we were asking several people, but uh, the prof said James Dobson is integrated, which he is, there's no question about that, James Dobson is integrated. And then we went out for a smoke break, or actually that was my high school days, but we went out for a break uh, in between uh, lectures. And it, we were standing around, there were like s- six or eight students there, and one of them said, oh my, I need to go and, and burn all my Dobson books. And I was standing, I didn't say anything, but I was standing there thinking like, wow, um, well, uh, that's kind of sad, actually. And it reminded me of a relative that I have. And my relative, uh, the wife, was married to a, a pagan man, uh, is married to a pagan man, or was. He was pagan. Still married, but was pagan. He was a a serial adulterer, angry man, uh, drug addict, etc. He, he was a lot of bad things. And I remember one time, I was talking to my relative, and she was asking me for some help, and this was 30-something years ago, 40 years ago maybe by now, and um, she said, and so I I share some things with her, and she said that, uh, you know, the thing that has really helped me is that I've been reading these James Dobson books, and I listened to him on the radio, and she was finding encouragement through him. God was using James Dobson in my relative's life just to keep her hanging on to the last knot at the end of her rope uh, with her husband, who later became a Christian, became a deacon in a church, and and God is just—it's a remarkable testimony. But at that point, I I remember that story— Dobson is an integrated teacher, and I don't mean that to be unkind to to anyone at all. That's just where he lands. I mean, we will worship God in eternity with James Dobson. But as far as his worldview, his practice, his teaching, he is integrated, and it's not the purest form of discipleship, and that's, that's just the way that is. But I don't play whack-a-mole with those people. And it was sad to me that these young MABC students were thinking that way. No, you don't want to be whack-a-mole. We need to overlook more stuff than probably... Some people need to overlook more stuff than than they do. And so I told my friend... Don't be an aggravationist, be humble, practice what you believe, and by all means, don't be a whack-a-mole over everything that moves. The truth is, biblical counseling will stand. Truth will stand. Secular counseling does not work. It may give them a a quick temporary fix, and I would put fix in air quotes as well. But ultimately, anything out of the DSM is going to send you down a bad path, and it does not work. And then this integrated counseling, well, it's not going to work over the long haul. Again, can you find some temporary help? Well, there's a million testimonies that says, I went to a secular counselor and I got help. I went to an integrated counselor and I got help. To a moderate degree, to some degree. But ultimately, God's word is what transforms people. And maybe that is the difference. Uh, Secular and integrated counseling can give you relief God's Word is what transforms people when practically applied. And so I wanted my friend to know that biblical counseling or God's Word will stand. Truth will always stand, and you stand with it, and God will vindicate you. God will vindicate what you believe. Your church may never come to your beliefs. They may always imbibe into the secular zeitgeist, but God will stand with you and he will encourage you. Therefore, you be encouraged in the path that you are taking as you are not playing whack-a-mole and shooting everything that moves outside of the biblical counseling framework. And so be encouraged, I told him. Be optimistic. And what I mean by that is have a God-centered confidence that you are doing the right thing. Number three, I said... Be a biblical counselor. Go about doing the work of biblical counseling, not sinning, just doing what you know to do with the blessing of your leaders. You are a joy to pastor and you are obeying them, but you're doing the work of biblical counseling. And so consistently disciple God's word is what I was asking him to do, regardless of the direction that the church takes, just consistently and humbly disciple God's word. It will refresh the downtrodden. It will convict the foolish. It will change the humble. It will cut through the fog of the confused, and it will shine brighter than any other form of counseling. And by the way, people will eventually come to you after their other programs and their plans and those perspectives reveal what they are and what they are is non-bible filler that does not satisfy or as jeremiah said they are cisterns that cannot hold water in jeremiah 2 13. people want the real meat of god's word and those people who are hungry for it eventually they will make their way to you as you consistently disciple God's Word and so what does that mean pr- on a practical level what I encouraged him to do is to think about a a lifetime plan in your lo- local body if change comes at all the change that you want will not come quickly and so what you don't want to do you know some parents will do this I've done this by the way I say it this way, the things that you have learned through 30 years of trying and failing and succeeding and trying, failing and succeeding again, and finally, voila, you come to it. And then you can map that over other people as though they are supposed to be right where you are when you are 20 or 30 years down the road. And so whatever change that you want in this local church, recognize that it will not come quickly. I mean, perhaps you could turn a ship on a dime if that's possible. And if it were possible, you will sling everybody off the ship. But if you take a long trajectory, maybe you can keep most everybody on the ship, but you can turn and you can change courses, but it's going to take a long time to do it. And so ensure that you know the difference between being a soul care provider and a biblical counseling apologist. There's a group of biblical counseling advocates who spend so much time, so much of their time, talking about how right they are. And it seems as though the more they, they talk, they're actually weakening the cause by alienating those that they should be helping. And one of the problems with that is that there's no invitational aspect uh, to what, they are, uh, what they're railing against. And there's people in our culture on both sides, both blue and red in the States, where you have uh, the blue team where they're just yelling at us with what's wrong with us, and the red team is yelling back with what's wrong with the blue team. But there's no invitational aspect to it. Oh, it's okay to say that that is wrong, but then present with all humility uh, what is right and to draw people in and ask God to turn hearts. There has to be an invitational aspect to your complaint. And so just don't be in, in, a BC biblical counseling apologist, but make sure there's an invitational aspect as you humbly lead people and not just railing against what's wrong. You don't have to self-promote biblical counseling. I don't. And I would recommend that you know. It's like the restaurant that's always spouting off how they are. We're the best in town, voted 15 years in a row. Okay, yeah, whatever. What about if you choose instead to feed the people and let God vindicate you? You don't have to self, self-promote. And as I said earlier, don't shoot everything that is different from you. Win people with the Word. Don't alienate with arrogance. It is God who justifies. So have that invitational quality. By the way, did you know that people are pragmatists, ultimately? The people that I counsel, they 99 out of 100, or 999 out of 1,000, do not care about secular, integrated, or biblical counseling. They're not interested in the wars. They are pragmatists. They just won't help. They couldn't care less about some of these things. That's why it's really unnecessary on the ground level. Just do the work of biblical counseling, and hearts will be turned, hearts will be compelled, and you will begin to Uh, build a, a team of not just people that you have discipled, but a team of disciple makers because they have tasted and they have seen that God's word is true, good, and transformative. People are pragmatists at heart. Let me wrap up by giving you a few ways that you can go about the business of not making a big deal about biblical counseling, but yet doing it in the context of a local church while obeying your leaders who may teach otherwise and them shepherding you with joy. For example, you could teach a Sunday school class. Take a Sunday school class. Did you know that we have 48 case studies? Just as an example, 48 case studies in our store. It's a free digital book. And you can download it and you can teach 48 classes, case studies, all of them are small. It's just a pericope about what is going on in Bill Mabel's life, and then it has some questions, and you could walk that class through those 48 case studies. You could take any article on our website. You could take our webinars. You could teach them. We have so much content, and you could use it to teach a class on a purer form of discipleship. Or you could teach a life application class, like a standalone training event. Just have a training event where you teach. You could do Introduction to Biblical Counseling, for example, or you could do a series of topical classes. Hey, here's a class on marriage, and begin to bring a purer form of discipleship. Number three, you can do—just do counseling, and I've said that many times. Number four, be intentional. And what I mean by that, if a person asks you how they are doing— then be intentionally intrusive in their life. When they say, fine, I'm doing fine, which is probably what they will say. You remember, fine is an acronym, F-I-N-E, feelings inside never expressed. And so they don't express what's going on, and so you be intentionally intrusive in their life and do, and I'll put this in air quotes too, do counseling on the spot. Disciple them right on this spot. Number four. Number five, lead a small group. Number six, train Nicodemus when he comes to you by night, asking you questions, seizing whatever opportunities that are before you. Uh, number six, bring input, bring biblical counseling car- uh, clarity, bring perspectives, uh, bring your counseling expertise to the meetings that you are in. Uh, Let's say that you're a fellow elder, for example, and you're in an elder meeting and a problem arises within the church, a relational conflict, for example, bring input, bring biblical counseling clarity, bring perspective, a sufficiency of Scripture perspective, Uh, practically walk through the counseling situation in the elder meeting or any other meeting that you may be part of. Perhaps you can pull another leader aside as appropriate to share a better perspective without being a whack a or an apologist. Say, hey, brother, when you see the desire to want to learn the teachability and the humility of another person, then begin to just walk through a better worldview for discipleship. And of course, personally model biblical counseling in your life and your family. I talked about this earlier. Wouldn't it be ironic? You're counseling the critical person, the grumbler, the complainer, and then there you are complaining about your church, grumbling about your church. Well, maybe your model of discipleship is not that great because it ain't working that great on you. By the way, this concept of personally modeling the very thing that you're teaching within your life and family, that's probably the most effective thing that you can do. Use all venues as opportunities to equip others. For example, if, if you are on the worship team, a singing venue, uh, there could be opportunities to teach through leading in the worship sets within the local, uh, within the uh, corporate meeting on Sunday morning, for example, there could be opportunity to teach the uh, worship team as you share this biblical counseling worldview. And as I mentioned, please use our content, like in the Sunday school class or these standalone events that you do. As you counsel people, we have a lot of disciple makers that use our content supplementally with the people that they're caring for. And so take an article, send a link to them. There's a print button at the bottom of every article. You can print it off in a PDF and send it to them, give it to them. You can meet with them and do life over coffee at a coffee shop or in your home. All of these approaches that I just laid out for you will allow you to insert a better way of doing things. And then if the Lord gives you a bigger platform to espouse biblical counseling, by all means, take it. But make sure that you don't use your platform to blow off steam by, by point making. And let me finish with a point that I've already made But this is so important because you want to emulate the very thing that you're teaching. You are the best model of what it means to be affected by biblical counseling. And so walk humbly before your God and before His people. May people see you, if you're a husband, for example, may people see you and your wife and the way that you interact. Or you and your children, if you have children, if you're single. May people see you as a single man or a single woman and say, there is something different about that person. You remember what they said about Christ? Never a man spoke like this man. They went in with ill intention toward Christ, and then they heard him talk You walk humbly before God and His people. You model the very thing that you're trying to implement in your local church. Episode 455, I titled it, Don't Make a Big Deal Out of Biblical Counseling. You can read these show notes. You can listen to the podcast, watch the video if you wish. By the way, we have, uh, we call it our Mastermind Program. We teach people how to do biblical counseling, a sufficiency of Scripture worldview. If you are interested in that, it's... It's an excellent course. I would encourage you to do it. If you'd like to do a smaller course, well, we have one called No More Fear. It's a topical course on how to overcome being controlled by the opinions of other people. And so you can take the longer uh, mastermind program, learning how to do biblical counseling over, let's say, a three-year period. It's all online, and and so you can do it. It's all self-contained, and so you can do it anywhere where you have access to the Internet. And then the same for our No More Fear course. You can get this standalone topical course, Overcoming the Fear of Man, and you can take it all online, self-contained as well. And so please take advantage of those if you wish. Don't make a big deal out of biblical counseling. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.